electronic passport which uh, every citizen of the Ukraine has in the DIA application, which is very convenient. So it's all, let's say, goes to um, simplification to have all in one packet, like a smartphone. It's really, really convenient. So it's uh, moving to this way and we're not changing. We, we are breaking, breaking any breaking any um, breaking any stops on the way and moving straight to fast. Thank you. Hello. Thank you, Slava Karin. Sorry, I was uh, dealing with some phonetic alphabet issues. I know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. It, it'll be, it'll be done soon. Right. Um, thank you, Slavo Um Anybody, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a, your usual period. Anybody who wants to come up and request to speak, just click that request button in the bottom right corner of your screen. We'll bring you up. We swear. Um, and Aaron, go ahead. Yeah. Hello, Tom and um. I've been speaking to a few people, and we've noticed there's a French um, like a surveillance aircraft in the corner pocket, so basically on the Romanian-Ukrainian border. I'll send you the link in a minute. Yes, um, there are surveillance aircraft that uh, circle that area frequently. It sounds like the French have uh, picked up some slack for some of the other allied yeah, I NATO. Yeah, I spoke to Go ahead. Yeah, I was speaking to Tim and a few people, and it's the first time we've seen it, so it's definitely a new thing anyway. Uh, the French one's new. I, I know of some other surveillance aircraft that have been in that area um, since the very early days of the war, and probably even before the war broke out, I would guess. Um, can you DM me the... the uh, ADSB info or something on that so I can take a look at it or I mean I can yeah sure thing me I'll send it over y yep thanks um I just have a quick question Aaron have you seen uh, what's happened close to Bryansk around Klinsi oh sorry mate I haven't really been following it lately Oh, apparently there's a there's a fire, and apparently a helicopter might have started it at a what seems to be a military base. Maybe somebody else in the audience knows more about it and is happy to come up and talk about it. Just uh, you know, putting it out there. If anybody who's uh, looked more deeply into it than I have would like to comment on it, that sounds delightful. Um, I I'd love to hear stories like that. I I haven't heard any good news like that in over a month. It seems exactly. Um, well, you know, a fire is one thing, but a helicopter starting starting a fire is a whole a other. Helicopter generated fires is a whole other thing entirely. Uh, did we ever decide if the fire at the transloading facility in Bryansk was started by a Bayrak Um I thought somebody had finally decided or disclosed that uh, that was a missile attack. And I was thinking the only way they could have done that was with a Bayraktar. I'm not sure. Maybe Mykola knows. 
Um, good morning, everyone. Just to add to that, so um, as you mentioned before, it was a helicopter that uh, kind of completed the mission similar to the mission, I believe, in March, where they, they were really close down to the Earth and uh, they just hit the military base um, in the city of Quincy in Bransk Oblast. And uh, basically, the people on the, you know, kind of on those telegram channels, they talk about how they saw the helicopter. Um, it was flying around for some time, then it shot and left quite immediately after the shots were fired. <laughs> Thanks, Mikola. Um, do we know what exactly is on fire and how... Uh excellent the fire is we just know that it's a military base uh we don't know anything else um so i was following the um one of the ukrainian soldiers so it was just uh, his comments so nothing else is known so far all right very well um thanks Mikola. and uh, we will we will be tracking this, I guess, right throughout the day, see if there's any more information coming out of it. I would love to know how much equipment bought the ruined in that. So, anybody who, uh, yeah, Mikola? Um, yes, guys. Um, I just want to ask a quick question because I was reading um, Reuters today. So, um, the Amnesty International published a report about uh, war crimes committed uh, by Russia in Ukraine, and they were specifically assessing the situation in Kharkiv. So I wanted to find out one thing. Uh, basically, they of course they mentioned that uh, you know Russians are using the uh, cassette bombs, and that's why the which are kind of prohibited by international law. But neither Ukraine nor Russia are the signatories of this agreement. Um, but the one important thing at the end of the article, they mentioned that basically because Ukraine positioned um, weapons, artillery weapons in the um, in the city of Kharkiv. Uh, they broke the international agreement of having the military um, close to the cities uh, where people reside. And uh, the question is quite simple. I mean, um, maybe there is a law like this, but uh, considering that there is a full-scale invasion and basically Ukrainians don't have a, you know, kind of a choice because they are outnumbered and outgunned, um, how morally acceptable from Reuters to even mention this thing? Um, or even from, you know, kind of from this um, assessment point of view. It just, it feels like a, a bit, I don't know, uh, like a backstabbing from Reuters at the back of the article. And I just wanted to know what's your opinion on that. And is it, you know, um, justifiable to say such thing? Thank you. Sorry, Mikola, I was distracted with connecting off a bit again. Um, what what was the what what was the the thrust of the Reuters article? So the thrust was that basically Russians, of course, they you know they broke the war, um, they broke the international agreements that you are not allowed to attack the civilian cities and what the horrible things they done to Kharkiv. But one thing that I didn't understand, if the article is about the war crimes of Russia, why would they, in the end, put Ukraine and write that Ukraine broke the international law by positioning its artillery inside the city? I mean, it just it feels like it's unjustifiable and it's not supposed to be there because uh, Ukraine is outnumbered and outgunned by Russia and saying those things only, 
kind of defeats the purpose of writing the article about the war crimes of Russia. I, I don't know. It just it feels really. <laughs> I know the media is trying to be not biased, but we definitely know who is wrong and who is right. So why would you put it in the end and say that Ukraine also broke the international law? I just don't understand this. Well, I mean, it can very easily be uh, commented on by saying, had Russia not been attacking the country and the country that's full of urban areas and had Russia not been attacking and sieging those urban areas, it'd be much easier to put artillery elsewhere but in the cities, right? Um, maybe they could have started with not shelling the cities and then there would be no need for to, to, to fire back. Um, I, I, th- I think it's, it's silly, fundamentally, because... Russia started by shelling and shelling cities and and you know sending missile strikes at cities. Uh, at some point, especially when you have major metropolitan areas such as Kharkiv, where else are you supposed to put the damn artillery? Right, the city is about fifty kilometers across. That or, or forty kilometers across the urban area, not maybe the the city limits proper. Uh, that is the entire you know, range of an artillery gun, and if. Uh, opposing forces are moving closer and closer to the edges of a city, such as they were in Kharkiv, where they were in at least the outskirts and you know exurbs of the city. Where are you supposed to put the artillery? The other side of the city? Because then it doesn't reach the Russian positions anymore. Um, and if Russians are perfectly allowed, apparently, to you know shell the city with all they have, uh, are you when when retreating? Are you supposed to go around the, the city? What, what's the what's the? I I don't understand them. I think they're being highly unrealistic on this. Um, the very realistic position could be Russia could have kept all of its artillery on their side of the border, and not have it shoot at Ukraine, and then all would all would have been well, and we wouldn't be having these these questions asked. Uh, maybe that's that's the that's the way I look at it. Maybe it's too simple, isn't it? Um, let's go to Daniel and then to Peter. Uh, and Mercola, then we'll swing back to you, and maybe you can add some more details. You're going to have to stop making so much sense, Damon. Yeah, I know. It's, it's difficult for some people, isn't it? Daniel. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to talk about the um, number of planes uh, above Romanian airspace right now. And uh, I, I thought I heard, I was just joining the group, when I thought I heard uh, some mention about French aircraft, I just wanted to uh, let you know that it, it's uh, scheduled for Macron to visit one of our uh, military bases near the coast. Uh, and that's probably why you'll see more activity than usual, more planes in the sky, including French Air Force uh, craft that's flying above Constanza, uh, and other areas in, in on the Black Sea coast in Romania. Well, I, I can only hope it's because he's visiting legionnaires that have been deployed there who may or may yes. not be. Yeah, they, they're, there's a mission. There's a French uh, division, I think. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not good with military terms, but they do have uh, NATO, uh, French NATO forces in the, at that base in Romania. So I guess the president is visiting his men uh, that they are deployed there. And I think he's planning on visiting Chisinau in Moldova next. Uh, I think that's tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. So he's going to fly to Romania today, visit the airbase, and then 
move to Kishino tomorrow, I think. That makes sense. Um, I got a, a DM from a listener that mentioned that that French plane actually showed up yesterday, not today. Oh, uh, I see. It's it, and that would make sense too if they're uh, doing a little bit of advanced preparation. Uh, but like I mentioned, um, there's been intelligence gathering assets in the air in that specific area for months now. So oh, yeah. part of a territory denial method i presume and just gathering up uh you know whatever kind of information happens to be floating out over the airwaves thank you ryan uh and i had another question uh, I, I spoke to domen domen i spoke to you a, a few days ago regarding that civil plane that uh, kind of breached several nato country airspaces uh and landed in bulgaria ultimately uh, have you seen any any details about that? Have you discussed it on the space? I, I, I didn't hear any discussion uh, We've discussed it a couple of times now. Uh, yeah. I don't think we got to a whole lot more. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, sorry about that. I don't think I've seen anything new on it either. Yeah, the only new information that I've seen is that uh, the Bulgarian authorities just reached the, the place where it landed probably minutes after, after the, who was, whoever was on board left. Uh, they found the engine still warm and the, the plane covered by a, uh, um, a protective plastic covering or something like that. Uh, and uh, another thing that's <clears throat> shown up in some Romanian language media, although I haven't seen sources for that anywhere else, is that allegedly the person that sold that aircraft uh, just a few days before the flight happened, um, it was a Lithuanian person that uh, alleges to have sold it to a Russian-speaking person, but he claims he doesn't remember the name of the person he dealt with or the company, uh, because uh, apparently there was a a company that bought it from him. <clears throat> I can share that article with you. Yes, please. Cool. I'll DM it to you, Domen. Thanks. Thank you, Daniel. Um, yeah, if anybody hears any more actual details or maybe the outcomes of the investigation in Bulgaria, if you have any Bulgarian listeners, especially since the final destination of that plane was some field apparently near Trgoviste, um, then uh, I'd be very happy to hear hear from you. In the meantime, Peter. Yeah, I wanted to comment on uh, on that earlier uh, mention of of the journalism and the both sizing. Uh, and the, the, the you know, uh, Ukraine also committed uh, 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 a crime by putting artillery in, in Kharkiv thing. I think uh, this, this just exposes how dangerous um, the journalism in our countries actually is because it removes moral clarity and it is extremely naive in its attempts to uh, be impartial, um, it, it, and it, it, it's not always like that. So, I mean, I would illustrate it with an, ex an example. Um, if we take this from nation states down to personal uh, or, or individual person level, uh, that article is the equivalent of saying, well, uh, John allegedly committed a crime when he inserted a knife between the ribs of Jim. Um, when he did so, Jim 
um, have, has also committed a crime by scratching John's face and drawing blood in that way. I mean, we would never report a murder or you know a stabbing in that way uh, because we see clearly what's relevant, what's uh, what's um, uh, significant, what's insignificant, what is a consequence of the initial aggression. Uh, a journalist writing it that way, if individuals were involved would be fired probably, but uh, journalists who are reporting in this uh, way that doesn't have any sense of perspective or moral clarity are maybe even applauded uh, when it comes to international news. Uh, and I think that is dangerous for uh, the understanding of our whole Western civilization of, of what is really going on and for the support that Ukraine desperately needs. So uh, uh, this journalism really, really uh, makes me concerned and, and um, a bit angry. I'll just quickly remind everyone that Reuters is a wire service and I'm not sure uh, where they got it from. Uh, often it doesn't, it isn't produced, stuff that's on Reuters often isn't produced by Reuters. Often it's just stuff that gets auto-fed into Reuters from other places. Uh, so it might have been someone else. Nicola, if you have it at hand, or Peter, if you have it at hand, just let, let us know. No, I, I, I was just going to comment that I see this kind of thing in Norwegian media all the time. I mean, they they are sort of, you know, or pointing out war crimes on the Russian side, but at the same time, uh, there's this, you know, yeah, we, we in all honesty, we know that some prisoners of war haven't been treated right uh, on the Ukrainian side either. Uh, there was this debate about, you know, uh, should the Ukrainians be parading uh, the prisoners of war uh, in front of video cameras? You know, there were these uh, Russians early on that were expressing their horror at what their own army was doing and their regret. And, and you know, this is against the Geneva Convention and, and so forth. And, and it was totally inappropriate in, in that time in the context of what was going on at that time. And, uh, and, and I see this time and again, so I, I wasn't so much commenting on this particular article as just making an example out of it, of, of what I perceive as a broader illness, uh, at least in the journalism I see, both in the Norwegian media, but also articles I, I found in, uh, in um, other Western media. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. And a lot of the time, it just also just comes straight from the wire services, right? It's an intern translating or um, just including a, a note from a wire service like Reuters or AP or Agence um, France Press or whomever, DPA in Germany. Um, what I see, Mikola, thanks. Uh, Mikola sent me this, and this is actually Reuters proper uh, writing this in Paris, the national Reuters correspondent writing this. And it's a report that Amnesty, I'm going to say Amnesty International, says this. Uh, just just to note uh, the actual source, which is which is always really good. Which now that I think what I think Michael actually did do, but I was uh, I was busy writing at the time, so was, I wasn't listening to him as as detailedly as I should have had. Um, but yeah, Michael, back to you. Yeah, thank you for commenting on that. Um, it just it's it's really hard to understand sometimes the concept because um, myself I studied philosophy, politics, and economics at the university and. Um, we always were taught to be unbiased, but I feel that at some point we have to actually find the side and be, we just have to stick to it. And it feels like nowadays, even though the media is trying to be unbiased, it's playing with the fire. 
you can't you can't try to find the you know the things that for example ukraine commits um in this respect i mean it just it feels like this particular argument was just taking from nowhere <laughs> just to kind of uh, make it unbiased and that's why i i really I'm really amazed how Reuters and AP, they sometimes, um, you know, they just put some arguments that you would never actually put in this case. Um, I wanted to quickly comment, there was um, kind of good news that um, yesterday, basically Ukraine managed to send the, um, they established a new route. Um, the Finnish ship Alfia delivered 18,000 tons of Ukrainian corn to the Spanish port from the Polish port of uh, Svinozhizia. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. Sorry. Svinozhizia. Svinozhizia. Yeah. Okay. That's better. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a good news. And um, I guess um, um, I was reading also an article in Ukrainian from Forbes um, that basically Ukraine is trying to establish new routes, how to deliver, and they managed to increase the uh, trans- transportation uh, through the ground rather than the sea, by almost 200% within the last two months. So, um, yeah, basically Ukraine is doing quite a lot to um, change the routes and uh, deliver the food um, to Europe and Africa. Thank you. Thank you, Mikola. Yeah, it went to A Coruña in Spain, if I remember correctly, and it's a Finnish ship. Uh, and actually one of our listeners knows someone who either is working on it now or used to work on it, um, which, is, which is excellent news, right? So the grain corridor is working, the rail corridor is working. Obviously, it's not working as well as it should yet, but in a matter of months, maybe that will change if all of the Polish rails on the way or a sufficient proportion of the Polish rails on the way. Um, that is to make an actual corridor to the Baltic ports in Poland and as well as in the Baltic countries proper. Um, switch over to the 15 20 millimeter gauge as craig will tell you with uh, great enthusiasm and i'm really glad to have craig back after his uh, his little sabbatical from the space as well um yeah more of these will be seen i'm sure uh, some already have uh, through klepeda in lithuania previously as well i think this is just the first one maybe that's a corn ship as opposed to wheat i'm not sure uh, but yeah, absolutely. Great news. Uh, this is all over the, the news yesterday, but I don't think we spent enough time commenting on it here, that's for sure. I'm going to drop down. Thank you, uh, Doman. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, everyone. And uh, keep up the good conversation. Um, thanks. Let's, uh, let's ask anyone else who would like to come up, uh, maybe ask a question, make a comment, anything along those lines, anything to do with Ukraine. Please request by clicking the button in the bottom left corner of your screen, uh, unless that is uh, Mikola. You have anything else for us? Because you know, we always prefer to listen to Ukrainians whenever possible. Um, I wouldn't be in priority because I'm living, you know, outside of Ukraine at the moment. Um, but thank you. You know, still, uh, still closer to me, at least in, in spirit. Uh, that, that's what I meant. All right, Slavo Kalini. Uh, we just had, uh, and it's still going, uh, air raid alert for the whole Ukraine. Just update. And just uh, back to the topic from the yesterday. Um, I'm reading Radio Svoboda. 
that Ukraine has returned the bodies of the 64 Azovstal defenders to the Ministry of the Reintegration as part of the another exchange. So a short, uh, short uh, article I can read if you want. Um, yeah, absolutely. If I remember correctly, they were in so they, they were in such a bad state that they were unrecognizable. Right? That that's something I, I had read. Another exchange of bodies took place between Russia and Ukraine. The Ministry of Reintegration of the Temporary Occupied Territory uh, reported on June 14. Uh, Ukraine has returned the bodies. Uh, the agency added the process of returning the bodies of the dead Ukrainian soldiers continues. The last exchange of the dead servicemen uh, between Ukraine and Russia took place on June 8. Thank you. Thank you, Slava Ukraini. Um, on the point of your handle, uh, if you check out the, the tweet, the first most recent tweet in the next above, uh, there have been some uh, questions of what we keep saying and what Slava Ukraini keeps saying. Um, so there's a whole uh, list of transliterations, well, rough transliteration into into Latin script, as well as the translation, as well as a uh, international phonetic alphabet version uh, up above in the nest. Um, so if you click on that, you will, you will see that as well. And maybe that helps you out with knowing what we're saying. And maybe you, you, know, you, you want to uh, be able to say it yourselves if you're English speaking. Uh, my colleague can check it out as well, comment on anything if, if I got anything wrong. But I, I had it uh, checked through Axon for Lane already, and I think they they think it's good. So um, hope, hopefully that's all right. Uh, Ian, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I was uh, re reading various comments about um, why the EU was hesitant to accept um, Ukrainian candidacy. And one of them was one that I'd not really thought of. And that was um, in freedom of movement, how many millions of Russians will be able to have unrestricted access um, in the EU? through um you know like their parents being ukrainians and you know like because like the populations were so merged especially 20 30 years ago that it would open up the borderless thing to millions of russians so i was wondering if there's like any possible solutions without arbitrary lines and that type of thing Okay, so that's a that's a complicated situation. Uh, my understanding is that um, um, Ukraine does not generally allow dual citizenship. So anyone who's a Russian citizen can't also be a Ukrainian citizen, at least in general, subject to certain exceptions. I think those exceptions can be well uh, can be well covered. Um, and I think that can be sorted out if it's not already in a state when it's not a problem. I don't know more details, I would say. However, I think it's probably um, it's probably fine uh, and certainly something that can be sorted out. Now, also note that these, this won't be a quick uh, process. Even, e, the U, Ukraine getting candidate status now means... Ukraine will probably become a member of the European Union in you know around 2030, right? There's plenty of time to sort this out, whatever whatever it is. 
whatever problems there might be. There is This is not a good reason to deny Ukraine candidate status at this juncture. Uh, and again, you know, I think that right now, Ukraine will be very happy to uh, um, take on board any such concerns and considerations and very happy to deal with them because I don't think that Ukraine wants any uh, possible fifth columnists either anyway. Um, so I think I think that's it's relatively straightforward. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, um, it's just uh, it's just like I just see, um, for example, like when Britain left um, Brexit, um, Brexit happened. I know a lot of people suddenly started applying for Irish passports, and my friend was going, "Well, if Scotland leaves and joins the EU, he through his grandparents is getting a Scottish passport and that type of stuff." And I could just imagine like Russian FSB agents and all that happening. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Don't know that, you know, until uh, the recent expulsions uh, of diplomats over the past few months, there were so many Russian FSB and SVR agents all over Europe. That is not even funny. Um, I'll just know that different countries have very different laws when it comes to this. Um, and Ireland, for example, has a very generous uh, citizenship law for anyone with, with Irish ancestry. Uh, Italy would be another one. Ukraine does not. Not anything like to the same extent. And again, Ireland allows dual citizenship very easily. I believe, if I remember correctly, I might be wrong. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I'm very happy to be corrected. I have no compulsions about it whatsoever. Um, whereas Ukraine does, does certainly not. Uh, especially since it doesn't generally allow dual citizenship anyway. Peace for Ukraine. Such a great handle, isn't it? Peace for Ukraine. <laughs> Hello. Thank you, Domen. Um, very, very quick sort of question or comment in the sense that um, I don't think, I think we can put to bed that concern, as you rightly explained, for, um, let's say, the ethnic Russians that would, from 20, 30 years ago, that would be in Ukraine. Because if we have that concern now, then shouldn't we not also have that concern to the same populations in all the Baltic states or former uh, Soviet republics that uh, then became independent because there also would be a lot of ethnic Russian population who currently now are sitting in whether NATO states or EU states. So um, I don't think it's, 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 should be concerned since it was not a concern 20 or 30 years ago or 10 years ago when other states joined the EU and I think it's up to EU and all the institutions in all the countries and individuals to be extremely vigilant uh, again to not have those fifth columns popping by and and be over zealous even i'm i'm not saying discriminatory but i'm saying zealous in the sense that we need to ensure that this fifth column uh is extinguished and pushed back to russia as where they should be and just contained there that's just my observation and perhaps sort of push but maybe i'm wrong thank you no i, I think you're right peace for ukraine um I think that there could be actually greater issues elsewhere. And actually some of the previous actions by uh, some Western European members and, and some members of the European Parliament specifically, I'm not going to go into detail. People can Google this. I won't be as cryptic as some people are sometimes. But um, there were some concerns about countries like Estonia and Latvia not being more liberal with issuing passports previously. And any such, any concerns right now would go kind of, 
exactly diametrically against those previous concerns issued by certain uh, politicians in Western Europe. Um, so you can you can look it up, uh, or maybe somebody else who wants to speak to this can speak to this. I'm not going to, uh, but it would be very um, inappropriate for uh, for current uh, for for Western for Western politicians say currently to. Uh, have concerns about Ukraine being too liberal with their passport policy, which they're not, uh, whereas they were previously scolding some mem- some member states, such as once the peace where Ukraine mentioned for not being liberal with their passport policies enough. Right. Um, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, and in particular, my country uh, giving uh, giving a sort of nationality or recognizing Portuguese nationality to Abramovich based on a bought certificate uh, for his ancestry of Jewish Sephardites. So, no, no, no good. No, exactly. And with uh, with a number of other countries having been issuing so-called, you know, golden residence permits and citizenships and so on, it's, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really matter. Certainly doesn't matter compared to what Ukraine is going through now and what Ukrainian rules are in the first place. Again, that that's something that has to be stressed again and again. Uh, and I would really like to, um, for any such concerns that crop up for reasons other than uh, actual concerns, to please go away. Uh, because what we need now is for Ukraine to join the European Union uh, soon, not too soon. Not in a rush process, of course. That would be bad for Ukraine as well, and that's something I keep I keep saying. And you know, some people don't want to understand that bit as well. But get candidate status as soon as possible, and hopefully by the end of next week, because this will greatly help the economy of Ukraine in the interim. It will help their borrowing rates. It will help their outlook in the long run. It will help the trust of private companies who will start thinking about reinvesting and modernizing Ukraine after the war, right? And they'll start thinking about it now. And they will be more willing and more active in planning all of those activities post-war if Ukraine has candidate status for the European Union, because it will mean that they will have higher trust in the institutions in Ukraine after the war, in the future of Ukraine after the war, etc. The sooner that happens, the sooner the planning starts. Planning takes a long time. Right when it comes to private companies, you know this is why people like myself and Axel and Peace for Ukraine, people who understand more or less roughly how the European Union works and functions and how business functions in the context of that, right? That's why we keep talking about this and agitating for it. We're not really agitating; we're kindly suggesting if this could please hurry up, right? Peace for Ukraine. I totally agree with you, Dom, and also I think. I think we lost peace for Ukraine mid-sentence. I shall, uh, I shall be in touch with him momentarily. Okay. Um, in the meantime, let's go to Nina and I'll get peace for Ukraine back to Audible. <clears throat> Hi, uh, I'm trying to keep myself like composed here. I've been crying a lot because I heard the news about Roman 
and uh, I don't know if you have talked about it, but uh, I was in contact with him and and uh, I just feel terrible. Nina, we, we, we have heard about it. We were just waiting for for full um, uh, confirmation of it. I think the confirmation the, the confirmation of it has come forward, but I think we're just looking for the absolute to be absolutely one hundred percent sure before we we talk yeah. about it in the space for for obvious for obvious okay. reasons. I understand, but the thing is that I was in contact with him. Uh, <clears throat> I don't remember exactly when the first time because if you remember, I, I'm making the documentary and he uh, agreed to give uh, uh, interview to Barbro. And uh, uh, he sent, or we sent some video messages. And then I asked him uh, uh, many, uh, long, quite long time ago, uh, like if everything is okay. And I didn't get any answer. And that's when I got really thinking that something has happened. Yeah, no, you're 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 right. And uh, a lot of us have been on the on the lookout for it. Um, you know, Axel and uh, a number of our uh, Ukrainian uh, regulars and, and, and moderators. Uh, there, there were a lot of cryptic messages on Twitter and other social media channels in, in Ukraine about a week ago suggesting it and uh, everybody just wanted to, to hold off uh, so that his family learns through official channels first as opposed to through social media and it seems that um, confirmation has since come forward. We will we will come to it, you know, I promise, and we will talk about it as soon as we have a proper, you know, full confirmation. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll let you know five, ten minutes ahead of that, right, Nina? Thank you. Thank, thank you, Nina. And it's... No. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll shelve it for, for now, just so that we can, we can talk about it in the most appropriate possible way, all right? Thank you, Nina. Um, we've got Peace for Ukraine uh, up with us, with us again, hopefully with, with better audio. And uh, let's talk about the more positive uh, positive thing for, for a short while, just so that we don't... Uh... No. Peace for Ukraine, you, you were saying your, your audio cut off just as you were halfway through your second word. I am so sorry about it. I just switched phones. Uh, Happens I, to everyone. I, I... Yeah, iPhone doesn't seem to be very collaborating today, so I'm back to my old Android. I hope it's okay now. Yes, it is. Please go ahead. Super. Thank you very much. Um, I, what I was saying is that um, uh, about EU accession, um, funny fact, I just turned 50 last week. No, two, two, one and a half week ago. And so I expressed a birthday wish that we grant um, Ukraine um, a EU candidate states, and and rightfully, as as you so well explained it, um, definitely uh, the process is going to belong to the effective accession and became in full membership, as rightly so, because uh, they all need we need to rebuild, we need to do reforms, whatever, in order to align um, Ukraine laws with EU laws, which which is uh, which is what, what every single country has to do. But it's very important for me in any case, and I think for quite a few of us, 
and in particular for Ukraine, who has fought uh, and has uh, already lost so many people, uh, already in Maidan to, to become part of UE, EU, and is fighting this fight and, and this wish to become a EU member, and it's only rightful as her as earned with the price of their own blood and, and their own lives to become EU member and it's for me it's the moral the correct thing to do to grant them EU uh, membership uh, um, candidate status and uh, also from if we think less from the emotional and moral thing if we think from the practical side of, of things and objective side of things uh, granting them Granting Ukraine um, uh, um, candidate status will allow through the process until they become effectively a membership to rationalize resources for all uh, the rebuild, rebuilding reforms that need to be done instead of now making them wait, wait for the war to stop and then do reforms. So we we can already, and we can, and we should, and we must kickstart already the process now. So whilst the rebuilding of Ukraine comes out after Russia's ass is kicked out of the floor and under Ukraine's own wishes and, and, and will as, as the, the peace, it will be on Ukraine's terms, uh, because the, and territorial should be on Ukraine terms. There is no question about it. And, Granting them status now will allow to rationalize resources, both from Ukraine, both from EU, in order to bring them up to the level so then finally they become full and rightfully so member of the European Union, if that is uh, effectively, and I think it is uh, Ukraine's wishes and Ukraine's people wishes. I think they already gave so much and it's only the right thing to do is to grant them status right now, honestly. That's uh, my personal absolutely. wish. Peace Breaker, I have a question for you. You, you yeah. understand how businesses operate in, in Europe, right? Can you talk a little bit about how much more, let's say, trust it gives it, it gives in a business? And, you know, you, you, you've worked in these, you know, broadly, broadly in, in private enterprises in Europe for, for a long time right now. Yeah. Um, and worked with many as well, importantly. Uh, well, let's not go into details of you know what you do, but because it, it, it doesn't really matter, it's just in broad, broad strokes. How much trust does it give to the private sector broadly when a country becomes an EU candidate member? When it comes to investing in a country that has now become a EU candidate member, compared to you know before that, how how important is that when business decisions are being made, when decisions about investments, you know FDI are being made in in companies? Oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I would say it will be, a I would not say it's different between night and day, but I would say the choice between a EU member, non-EU member, easily, in any case, in my perspective, is easily done. Um, I would say 75% easily as a markup, as trust. Why? Because a EU member would have to comply with a series of laws. A couple of, just from the top of my head, that are very important will be uh, data protection, GDP, uh, AML, KYC. Those are sort of two cornerstones of 
working with new clients, getting new clients, getting new suppliers, um, because it's it it's extremely important to know where the the money source comes in. I mean, <laughs> I work in Luxembourg, so let's say Luxembourg has the bad reputation of being a tax haven, which is not. Uh, we can talk about tax optimization, but not tax haven. Uh, but um, but it's easily, I know when I started working here, working in Luxembourg for 20, 25 years ago, I worked in a small company that would do some shady money placements. We can even call it money laundry, potentially. I left after two years after I saw that. So, but... Um, but let's say uh, that kind of practice uh, needs needed to disappear, and it's extremely important the, the trust uh, that you can have on the people, on your clients, on your suppliers, on, on everyone, or even to create partnerships or joint ventures. I mean, it will be a common effort for me um, granting candidate status to to Ukraine will be also. It, it it's a sort of a bound of opportunities for EU member states to create and root and partner with Ukraine, uh, which has a such a vast uh, wealth of people, of intelligence, uh, of resources that we can work and cooperate together to 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 bring and to raise up. Ukraine and also you, I think we all be beneficial to to grant the status and to work together to rebuild Ukraine and 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 then we can move on in helping countries that are more dire straits. Uh, I mean, we can work together. We should work together. There is no reason we should not. We should look into develop each one's uh, particular specialities and. And helping each other instead of uh, and creating common market for I don't know oil resources instead of each one fighting each, each country uh, for oil or for gas or for whatever resource, why don't we do bulk purchase and then dispatch it to to some other countries? Just an idea, but I think we can and we should cooperate together. And particularly, my concern now is Ukraine and and getting uh, Ukraine back into uh, peaceful states. And um, my handle will change from peace for Ukraine to victory in Ukraine once that happens. And I hope it's very, very soon. That's my wishful thinking. And I'll shut up now. Thank you, Peace for Ukraine. And, you know, this is something we keep highlighting, right? Of course, the vast majority of the time here we talk about current events, events to do with the war, etc. Um, but I think it's it's good from time to time for us to also highlight um, you know, the, the future prospects, right? Because someday the war will be over, as you say, and that day you will change your handle. And um, it, it's important to look to the future because the future will come and, and the future matters here a lot. But it doesn't just matter for the future, it matters for now, right? confidence in the private sector now not it won't just affect the future it will affect the present as well because as soon as those you know as soon as you candidacy is approved there will be a massive ramp up just as you said 
of business confidence, that ramp up of business confidence will mean uh, ramp up of business activity. Business activity for Ukraine doesn't just have to happen in Ukraine right now. There are plenty of Ukrainians outside of Ukraine right now. There will be overnight a much more you know desired workforce because they will have country-specific knowledge and they will be able to you know, work on planning now while outside of Ukraine, be they in Poland or Germany or France or, uh, you know, any any other country. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You know, Portugal, right? Portugal has a very large number of Ukrainian refugees now. And it's very possible that, you know, companies that will be looking forward, looking towards reconstruction, looking forward at the Ukraine, you know, after victory already, um, will have to start planning and that planning will happen, you know, with, with Ukrainians, not just with Ukrainians in mind, but, you know, with Ukrainians working on it. Uh, because at the end of the day, you need people who speak the language, who understand the business culture, who understand the culture of the country to be a part of this. Um, you know, very, very simple. Once Ukraine gets candidate status, enough companies across Europe and the world, but Europe crucially, will start thinking about investments post-war. Maybe there will be 5,000, maybe there will be 50,000, maybe there will be you know, 500,000 Ukrainians who are now perhaps refugees, perhaps have already been outside of Ukraine in other countries previously, um, who will be wanted to work on this, right? Who will be looked for by companies across Europe to help them make those plans work. And, you know, if nothing else, this will help with remittances uh, to go to Ukraine now. And, and help the Ukrainian economy now. The Ukrainian economy has now, because of the war, because of the destruction that the Russians have waged on um, on the agricultural sector, on all sorts of businesses, on you know numerous cities across Ukraine, destroying the infrastructure, destroying large chunks of the economy. Um, you know, remittances have become a larger proportion of the Ukrainian economy, pure and simple, right? As the rest of the economy went down, remittances became more important. Uh, and uh, with this, you know, remittances could indeed actually help grow Ukrainian economy and maybe stop it from, from falling off quite as much as it did. And this is just another one of those, you know, small effects, small dominoes uh, that would fall, and not a small one at all, right, from Ukraine getting EU candidacy, right? EU candidate status means a commitment to improving institutions, a commitment to further improving the rule of law, a commitment to following the standards and harmonizing with the standards that all of these businesses are used to working in within the European Union at large, right? And and that is really important. That is fundamentally crucial um, for Ukraine right now. And anybody who doesn't see this, any any country, any government, any legislative body that might want to stand in the way of this, I, I think every such legislative body should be told exactly what they're standing in, in the way of, exactly what they're preventing from happening, exactly what they're holding back on, and on something that doesn't cost them a dime right now, right? Approving candidate status for Ukraine doesn't take anything away from any EU member state right now. It doesn't. There are no obligations on any of them until until there is already, right, until there is already um, uh, an acceptance, an accession of uh, of Ukraine into the European Union. I think that's really important to understand as well. Uh, you know, giving Ukraine candidate status now doesn't mean anything for, you know, 
five years, eight years, ten years, for however long it will take Ukraine to actually join the European Union, right? All of those freedom of movement questions, they don't come into play until, you know, 2030. Why in the hell would a government stand in the way now of helping Ukraine for, you know, no no cost to themselves? It is um, it is inappropriate. It's it's wrong fundamentally for them to do so, and hopefully they won't. And hopefully by the end of next week, we will know that Ukraine has been given candidate status and all of those things. All of those things that we have uh, just discussed, peace for Ukraine and I, uh, will come true. Peace for Ukraine. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Tom, and you, you nailed it uh, really, really well. I, I really appreciate your your clarity and and your and your comments. And um, I would say just want to add, sort of, perhaps my my sort of uh, teasing or nasty comment for those countries who try to to let's say drown with uh, stupid and 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 uh, bad faith arguments for not granting accession um to that granted candidate status to to ukraine right now uh, for me it's just sad pitiful excuses of countries of um, of so-called uh, government leaders uh, just so that they they can let's say make the sense that they they have a different opinion or oh look at my country I have such big economy I'm going to say no because blah 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 basically that for me and part of my friends is just bullshit just pure bullshit and they should stop that they should rally up everyone should support Ukraine. Those governments should support Ukraine. We should all support Ukraine. This country is suffering. This people is suffering. They deserve our respect. They deserve our love. And that is it. And Russia should get the F out of Ukraine right now. And I'll stop my ranting now. Thank you. Thank you, Peace for Ukraine. Uh, absolutely. Certainly. No. Um, and we hope for, for, for good news in that regard soon. Well said. And there's only a day left. June 15. I am praying very, very, very hard every single day, morning and night. Well, the thing is, we will have to wait with bated breath because I'm quite certain that, as always, the outcome of this will be a press conference and the press conference will be, for everyone who's been waiting with bated breath, be sufficiently disappointing. And then you'll see uh, announcements and notes in the subsequent days trickle in through, unless, unless um, Lloyd Austin and the US government really want to make it exemplary. Then, of course, you might have some of a Churchillian moment. Ooh, I hope so. I, I, I rather have the second option. I take that one. Thank you, Axel. You're very welcome. Domen, uh, I understand that uh, um, people have already started talking about what has been filtering through. Correct. I wasn't listening, so what has been said so far? Very, 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 very little. Uh, Nina, um, you know, t told us a, a little bit about her 
you know, direct interactions with uh, Roman um, and, you know, some, some, some words of uh, in memoriam, so to speak, have been, have been expressed. But I, I told everyone that we're trying to just make sure, absolutely sure to verify that the news are indeed true um, and perhaps to arrange for the most appropriate possible way of commemorating the loss. Yeah, we'll be, um, let's, let's park this for a moment. I know it's hard for people, but let's park this until Walter and you uh, have a moment to revert us, uh, because some people knew him obviously longer and better than others. And I think it's uh, wholly appropriate if we then take a few moments then. And we also, uh, we have been waiting since the indi indications came out end of last week that the 93rd had been as they were and as everybody here knows um, heavily involved in battle um, that uh, a number of their very valiantly fighting soldiers had fallen and uh, we wanted to wait generally um, up until the time when the 93rd and all command would uh, convey the notion. Obviously, this is out of respect for both the unit as well as the families and the people who actually fought. So if you give us a little time this afternoon, um, we will come out with it. I'll put it this way, anybody who wants to know um, in advance when this is going to be uh, you know, commemorated, um, just drop me a DM and I will uh, DM everyone about 15 minutes ahead of time, just so that you know to, um, to tune in. But we can have a, a minute silence now as well, if, uh, if that's all right with everyone. All right, gentle people, let's move forward. Let's be productive. If you have any kind of questions uh, outside of what we just highlighted and uh, honored with a moment of silence uh, up until we come back to this topic, uh, please feel free to come up. We'll be here. And those of you who have questions, uh, some of you 
uh, have not been regular speakers, so you can also uh, feel free to send uh, a request respectively the question itself to Dorman or myself. Thank you. Aaron, you had your hand up. Yeah, I've got a quick question for you, Axel. Um, is there any update on the murders? Nothing 